Hey church, today we have a special treat for you. We're going to be hearing a message from a good friend of mine, Pastor Nate Clark. He and his wife Anna are pastors of Oasis Church outside the Richmond, Virginia area. He was actually here to start the year out, the first sermon of the year, and I invited him back to bring another message. It's going to encourage you. It's going to strengthen your faith. So help me welcome him. Open your hearts up and get ready to receive from the Word of God. Let's welcome Pastor Nate. Well, good morning, church. Happy Sunday. Are you doing well today? So good to see you in the house of the Lord, and I'm just honored to be here. Um, I told the first service, this is my second time, so that officially means we're family now. Is that okay? Can I say that? Is that okay? Hey, I want to welcome all those that are joining us online today. Thank you for being with us. also want to welcome South Mountain, Fountain Hills. Thank you for joining us today. I love what God is doing in this church. Uh, I've been following along this last season as Pastor Ryan's been preaching about bold men. And just last week, Pastor Amy talking about excellent wife and just, just looking at all that God is doing here in the fabric of this church and in the families of this church. It's, it's incredible. And uh, truly, I'm just honored to be in the room today. And I believe God has a word for us uh, that's going to encourage you in this season regardless of where you are. I want to read two different passages today. The first one's from Isaiah chapter number 40. And before I read it, I want to give you a little bit of the context of what this chapter is. Isaiah is broken down into three different sections. Theologians break the, ch break the entire book into three different categories, if you will. Chapter 1 through 35 are known as the prophetic chapters. And it's, it's kind of like the prophetic that it's talking about is not good stuff. It's like, hey, you're about to be captives for several decades. Hey, you're about to not be in a mountaintop season. You're about to be in a valley season. There's about to be struggle. It's, it's not good. So the first 35 chapters are prophetic along those lines. Chapter 36 through 39 is historic. It's telling what's actually going to happen. It's a historical account of God's people that are going to be taken captive and all of the dynamics of that. And then chapter 40 of Isaiah begins the final section, 40 through 66, that theologians call the messianic section of Isaiah. It's the hope-filled section. It's the section that's encouraging God's people, although it's about to get difficult, God is with you. Although it's a, although it's a struggle, God is, has not forgotten you. You are still his people. So here's the first chapter of the messianic hopeful section of Isaiah. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says this, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth will grow tired and weary. Young men will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, a lot of translations say, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now I want to go back to the book of Exodus, chapter number 19. 
Verse number three says this, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. So God is saying, Hey, I've got a message for my people. Moses, you're going to be the mouthpiece. You're going to be the delivery man. Here's what I want you to tell my people. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Today I want to talk around this idea, wait for the wind. Wait for the wind. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these precious moments that we share around it today. And Lord, my prayer is simple today, and it is that you would do what I cannot do, and that is change our hearts and change our lives. Lord, I pray today when we leave this place, we wouldn't have just attended a service and heard a talk or watched a live stream, Lord, but I pray today we would hear from heaven. So Spirit of God, speak to us. Open our hearts to receive your word today. And if you believe it, somebody say amen. 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 I want to start off today by talking about a tool of communication known as an analogy. Here, here's what an analogy is. It's you're trying to communicate something to someone that they don't understand. And so to get them to grasp what they don't understand, you have to talk about what they do understand so that they can understand what they don't understand. So this has been a tool we've used around our house with our son recently. He's nine years old. And so um, we've been working on this concept of staying in your lane. <laughs> it's like, hey, there's some things that are for parents. There's some things that are for kids. There's some responsibilities that are mom and dad responsibilities, some that are kids. And essentially, like, you don't need to worry about our stuff, and we won't worry about your stuff. You stay in your lane, right? So this whole concept, we're trying to teach him, right? Because he likes to <laughs> uh, weave the lanes together, right? And so, so we're trying to teach him this concept of like, you have things and we have things, and you handle your stuff and we handle our stuff. And, and so we were trying to think of how we communicate this to our nine-year-old, and we begin to think about one of his favorite things currently is the cartoon character Sonic the Hedgehog. The parents know Sonic the Hedgehog, right? So, so Sonic the Hedgehog, he has several friends of his. He has a friend named Tails and a friend named Knuckles. And so we're, we're trying to teach him about this. And so we start talking about Sonic. We say, hey, hey, buddy, you know Sonic, right? Sonic. And his eyes just light up like we got him, right? He's ready. like, you know, Sonic has Sonic missions, right? There, there's things Sonic's got to do. There's tasks Sonic's the Sonic's got Sonic missions, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know his friend Knuckles, right? You know, his friend Knuckles, he's got Knuckles missions. And Knuckles has got to do what Knuckles has got to do. And Sonic has got to do what Sonic's. So we're like explaining all this. And, and we're like, now listen, Knuckles does not do a Sonic mission. And Sonic doesn't do a Knuckles mission. They each take care of their own mission, right? So, so we're like using this and he's with us. And you can see the light bulbs going off. And, and so we're saying, hey, just like that, we have our things and you have your thing. So, so like, we'll like pitch everything now. We're like, all right, buddy, time to go brush your teeth. It's a sonic mission. Let's go brush your teeth, right? Like, go get him. Go. And it's like it, it, he started to connect the dots because he understands this tool of communication called an analogy because there was something he doesn't understand. So we used something he did understand so he could understand what he didn't understand. This tool of communication is used often 
in the biblical narrative by God because there are many things about God and about us and about how we relate with God and our relationship with God that we don't understand. And so because there's many things we don't understand, this is why God uses the tool of an analogy in the biblical text to explain spiritual truths. This is why Jesus so often talked in parables. He said, hey, here's what the kingdom of God is like because you don't understand the kingdom, so let me explain how it's like. It's like some seed, right? And you talk farming language and agriculture language. and All of the time, Jesus is using analogies to explain spiritual truths so that we can understand them. And some of them are amazing. Some of the analogies that God uses like to describe us and spiritual things are awesome. Like first Peter talks about uh, followers of Christ, we are, like living, we are like stones, we are like rocks, living stones. And he's talking about how together as the body of Christ, we're built up as stones. And Jesus is the cornerstone, but we as followers of Christ are like stones. And when we're built together, we can make a great spiritual house that we couldn't make on our own. And so you read some of that, you're like, man, I'm a rock. Let's go. I'm a rock in the kingdom of God. It's amazing, right? But then you read some analogies and you're like, that ain't so great. Like where Jesus is like, hey, you're like a sheep. <laughs> I don't know if you know, sheep aren't smart. Sheep are directionless, defenseless, purposeless in their wandering and their meaning. Like that's why they need a shepherd, right? So, so there's some of these analogies that are good. Some of them are like, oh, you know. But there's, there's one that I read in both of our texts today where God through Isaiah and Moses is describing the delivery method of his people by using the analogy of like on the wings of an eagle. The context of Isaiah and Exodus are pretty similar in the fact that Isaiah is, again, he's telling them, hey, you're about to be in a, a difficult season of captivity. You're about to be in bondage. This is gonna be uh, painful. This is gonna be less than ideal. This is not where I want you forever. And so because it's where I don't want you to be, I desire to get you out of there to where I want you to be. And the way I'm gonna get you from where you will be to where I want you to be is like on the wings of an eagle. He's saying, hey, my delivery method, the way I'm getting you from one place to another is like on eagle's wings. This is the same with Moses in Exodus. He's saying, hey, remember when you were in Egypt? When you were slaves under Pharaoh? When, when, when you weren't free? And do you remember how I moved you out of Egypt? How I brought you into freedom? He says, I got you out of Egypt like on the wings of an eagle. So this, this analogy is used both times to describe God taking his people when they're somewhere that he doesn't want them to be and gets them somewhere he desires them to be. His method of movement, his delivery system, he describes is like on the wings of an eagle. Now Charles Spurgeon says everything that happens in the natural in the scripture is God telling us what he desires to do for us in the supernatural. 
Okay, so when Jesus heals blind eyes in the New Testament, it's not just letting us know that God can heal our blind eyes, but it's letting us know that spiritually, God desires to open our, our, our spiritual eyes that were blind to the gospel to see the beauty of Jesus and trust the gospel. That he wants to open our spiritual eyes to understand who he is and our relationship with him. And so God saying he's moving his people back in Isaiah and Exodus, I think is what God's heart is to spiritually move his people today. For some of you, you could be in a season or situation that's not a mountaintop season, it's a valley season. Or maybe there's something that you know God has called you to do. There's, there's a dream, there's a clear direction and word from God that is out in front of you and you're not there and you're not sure how to get there. I believe God's word for you today would be, I, I've got a way of getting you from where you are to where you wanna be and where God wants you to be. And the way God's gonna get you there is like on the wings of an eagle. Now, I realize this kind of sounds cool as I was reading this and kind of studying this. It's like, man, God wants to move me like on an eagle's wing and soaring on wings like eagles. But then I quickly thought to myself, I don't know anything about eagles. The only thing I knew is they're a terrible football team. Just birds in general, I just, I don't, I don't know anything about eagles, birds in general. The only thing I knew about birds was I love an eight count from Chick-fil-A. Come on, somebody. That's, that's what I know about chicken. And, and so, I'm think, so I'm starting to dig and I'm starting to ask myself, okay, God is using this analogy because he's trying to communicate how he does something. So I need to understand what he's talking about. So just begin to think about birds, wings, flying in general. And uh, for some reason, the first few birds that just came to mind, I thought of like the first one was like a pigeon. You guys see these like the pigeons like, um, I found out from people earlier this morning, you guys have pigeons in Arizona. Wow, that's amazing, right? So, uh, so pigeons, um, the, I just immediately think of like Home Alone in New York City with the pigeons, you know, and, and it's like they're always around uh, the food, you know, they're trying to be in proximity to people, they're just walking around kind of bobbing their head, and then I picture like the kids trying to chase after them or whatever, and the pigeons want to fly away enough to get away from the kids, but not enough to leave the proximity because they still want the food, so like the kids will go after them, and the pigeons will do this like quick little loud flutter, you guys see this, right, just you know, it's like far enough to get away from the kids, but they still want to be around the French fries, you know, and so they're kind of hanging out. And then, so I thought about a pigeon. I thought about a hummingbird. Found out also this morning, you guys have hummingbirds in Arizona. Arizona's amazing. This is cool. So I love, I love hummingbirds. They're so fascinating. I remember the first time I saw one in real life. It's like, it, it didn't almost look real in my eyes. I'm like, wow, what is this? And then you watch the slow motion video and you guys know those wings are going a million miles an hour, aren't they? Just just as they're floating. And I was thinking about, even in our house recently, just in the last two weeks, we got some chickens. <laughs> My wife has wanted to get chickens forever. And so we just got these little chicks, you know? So they're, they're currently like, they're only like a month old. So they're like at home in this little like Tupperware container with a little heat lamp over it. So they're like sitting in our house. And so we'll be like sitting around or whatever. And they're all quiet, just doing little chirps. But then one of them will like start to fly or flutter, just do the quick 
and it's like super loud. It kicks up all their little stuff. And so we're just sitting at home. We're like, oh gosh, we forgot we had chickens. <laughs> so they're, 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 all, all, all birds really, in a general sense, you could put them in one category as far as how they leave the ground and take flight is they all flap. Right? Like, whether it's a pigeon or a hummingbird or a chicken, when they're flying or moving, there is, there's kind of a frantic quick flap that begins to get them into flight or begin to move them, right? And so as I was studying them, again, almost every bird in a general way you could put in that category, but an eagle is nothing like any other bird. As I began to read about eagles, if an eagle were to fly like any of those other birds it would die mid-flight. So its wings are so large and so heavy that its heart cannot pump a sufficient amount of blood throughout its body and wings. That if an eagle were to fly and flap like a pigeon, a chicken, or a hummingbird, it, 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 its body would not be able to sustain the flapping and it would die mid-flight. So this is why every time you see a picture of an eagle, it looks like this. They, they, they soar. And it's also why an eagle will build its nest very high up. This is why you only see eagles nest at the top of trees or on the side of cliffs and mountains. It will build it very high up and eagles have great patience. So they will sit in their nest and wait. If they're over water, they'll be looking for fish in the stream. They'll be looking for prey. And when it sees what it desires to get, an eagle does not have the luxury of diving out to go get it. An eagle has to wait. An eagle has to be patient. And eagles wait for what scientists call wind thermals. Because eagles are so high up, they can sense and know when the wind is getting ready to blow. They'll wait for a wind thermal and they keep their eye on the prey the whole time. And when the wind thermal comes, the eagle will dive out of its nest and do one or two big, strong flaps. And then straight out, and it's soaring. Guess why you see every time you see a picture or video, it's doing this. You don't ever see the eagle doing that. The eagle is able to fly faster and farther and get where it needs to go, not because it's flapping, but because it's got a wind thermal at its back. So, so it's not having to work as hard, but what it has had to do is it's had to wait for the wind. And when God is talking about delivering his people from where they are to where they want to be, he's saying, I want to move you like on the wings of an eagle. What, what we're learning from God's word is that our spiritual journey should look a lot less like flapping and a lot more like soaring. Our, our spiritual walk should look a lot less like a frantic flap and a lot more like a soar with wind at our back. But here's what I've learned about my own life in the lives of many people around me is that we love to frantically flap ourselves to death. <laughs> Don't we? We love to frantically flap. 
Hey man, happy Sunday. Yeah, man. Praise the Lord. God is good all the time. And all the time, he's good. <laughs> how's work going? Yeah, it's been good. Pretty good. Kids doing good. Yeah, yeah, really good. Like, how's the new job? Yeah, new job's going good. I'm thinking about trying another one, you know. Uh, you know, uh, schedule's already full, but just added seven more things this week. <laughs> yeah, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. <laughs> praise the Lord, yeah. Oh, church was so good this Sunday. Oh, oh praise, praise the Lord. Oh, praise the name. Praise the Lord. Okay. You get around your brothers, sisters in Christ, you're talking to me, how you doing? You good? You good? Yeah. And I'm like, really? You're good? You look exhausted. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. You look so tired. But we can live our spiritual lives like this so often trying to go and flap and make it happen. And don't wait for God to open the door, pry the door open. Kick it down. Don't do it. Go, go, go. And God is, God is saying, no, no, no. I've got a way of moving you. And it's not to frantically flap. It's to sort. You've got to wait for the wind. This is such a difficult thing today because culturally we love to strive. Like you will be applauded if you strive. You will be rewarded and given a badge of honor if you flap yourself to death. It will be encouraged. And now listen, hear me today. This is not a message about not working hard and not having your hand to the plow and faithfully executing the task and the call that God has for you. This is not a message about not working hard. This is knowing the difference between striving and soaring. It's knowing the difference between waiting on wind from heaven and you trying to create your own wind. In the biblical text, a symbol of the Spirit of God is wind. This is the birth of the New Testament church in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes on them on the day of Pentecost. How does it describe it? It says, the Spirit came on them like a mighty rushing wind. Wind is describing the Spirit of God, wind from heaven. And God is saying, I've got, I've got wind, my Spirit is moving, heaven is blowing, and, and, and you need to wait for the wind. Don't try to create your own. Here's some signs today that you might be striving more than soaring. If you're always exhausted and have no rhythm of rest in your life, you might be striving. If you've told yourself it's just for a season, for several years, <laughs> that one's personal for me, that's me right there, you might be striving. If all around you, everything you're producing is only things in the natural and nothing in the supernatural, you might be striving. You might be striving today if the harder you work and the harder you push and the harder you try, the slower you go. God might be asking you today by his spirit to say, hey, wait, wait for wind, wait for the wind. Because here's what I know about soaring. Soaring can take you places striving can't. 
I want to say that again. Soaring can take you places striving can't. Soaring can take you places money can't buy you. Soaring can get you into doors that your level of experience and training wouldn't qualify you for. Soaring can take you farther in one year than you can get in 10 years. It's, it's wind from heaven. This pattern is not just from the Old Testament, but we see this concept in the New Testament as well. In John chapter 5, there's a story that I love so much. Jesus comes onto a scene known as the Pool of Bethesda. Theologians debate whether this was just a belief in the day or whether the belief actually had some validity to it, but people believe that the Pool of Bethesda, there would be wind that would blow and stir the water. And when the water moved, the race was on. The first person to get in the water after the water was stirred would be healed. So as a result of this belief, this pool is surrounded by people that were sick and crippled and had diseases. They were all there because that was their shot at healing. They had given up every other avenue. Uh, no doctors had been able to help them. So their shot was to get into the pool when the water was stirred so that they would be healed. And there's a man there that has been lame for 38 years. This is not 38 minutes or 38 days. This is 38 years. He is going on four decades of not being able to walk. This is his life. This is not a season. This has been his life. Think about how, how uh, tired and weary and almost just kind of I've given up. Jesus comes to this man that has been lame for 38 years, and he asks him a question that almost seems way too obvious or insensitive. He says, do you want to be made well? And the obvious answer is yes, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. This isn't the spot of luxury. This is not the place I desire to be. I'm here because I want to be healed. Jesus asked him, and notice how this man responds. And as we read his response, I want you to think about how much striving this guy is doing. Ready? Here's what he says in John 5, verse 7. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So he's giving Jesus an account of his past failures to get into the pool first. He said, hey, Jesus, I'm here. I've tried to get into the pool first. Others beat me there. Because others have beat me there, I've tried to think about and recruit people to help me get there first. That's why he says, I, I haven't had anyone to help me. I've tried to get some assistance. I've tried to strategize. I've tried to plan my route to the pool, as soon as the water stirred, I've been thinking about it, I've been recruiting for it, I've been looking at the competition to see who I have to beat out, but I haven't found any help because people beat me there. Striving, 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 trying, thinking, strategizing, recruiting, trying, trying. And Jesus rolls up to the pool of Bethesda and essentially what he's saying is, hey, you've been, you've been trying for 38 years, you've been flapping here for 38 years, the wind from heaven is now blowing. Do you want to be made well? He says, hey, get up, pick up your mat, and go. What this man was unable to do for 38 years, Jesus did in 30 seconds. What, what this man had been 
thinking about and strategizing and recruiting and how can I, how can I, how can I, how can I? Jesus just said, do you want to be made well? Your best plans in recruitment have nothing against wind from heaven. <laughs> your, your best efforts over decades can't compete with one gust of wind from heaven. Do you want to be made well? It's such a beautiful example of the fact that soaring can take you so much farther, so much faster than striving can if you will just wait for the wind. Think some of us today, the Lord is calling us to let him do the heavy lifting in our life. This is, we have responsibility, we have things we must do, we've, we've got to act in obedience to God and we've gotta be faithful to what he's asked us to do, but God does the heavy lifting. God does the heavy lifting. For some of you, you came here today and you got a smile on your face on the outside and your hands were up in worship on the outside, but your soul is exhausted because you've been trying to flap your way to where God wants you to be. And God's word to you today is, wait for the wind. Wait for the wind. God, God can get you there if you'll wait. By the way, this concept is not just how God moves us as followers of Christ, but this concept is also how we were saved. This is how we were saved. Look at what Ephesians chapter two says in verse number eight. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves. This wasn't your thing. This wasn't you flapping up to God and you doing it in your own self-righteousness. No, 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 not of you. It is a gift from God. Anybody grateful for that today? Not by works so that none can boast. Like, look, you didn't get saved by striving to get to God. You got saved because God came down to you. You didn't get saved by bridging the gap between you and God. You got saved because Jesus bridged the gap between you and God. You, you didn't climb out of the pit you were in. No, no, no. God lifted you from the pit and he set your feet upon a solid rock, the psalmist says. We, we give ourselves sometimes too much credit. I was reading a post one time of somebody talking about their spiritual journey and they said, they said, I, I was in the driver's seat of my own life and I got out of the driver's seat and put God in the driver's seat and I'm in the passenger seat as the co-pilot. So be God's co-pilot. It's like, I think you're giving yourself a little too much credit. <laughs> wow, you are God's co-pilot. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. if we're going to go with this thing here, this analogy here, God is driving, I'm good with that, but the vehicle is an ambulance, and you're in the back on a stretcher. You didn't need help, you needed rescue. You didn't need assistance, you needed saving. This was not by us, it was a gift from God. This is, this is how we're saved. We're not saved by stacking up our own self-righteousness and if you can do good enough, no, no, no. We're saved by surrendering to what God has done and his finished work on the cross and putting our faith. That's how we're saved. We're saved by soaring, but so many times we think we have to be sustained by flapping. No, 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 God, God saves you, he does the heavy lifting. 
And then throughout your journey, I'm just trying to encourage you today, he'll continue to do the heavy lifting. You, you've got a job to play, but let God be God. Let God do what only God can do. What area of your life today are you flapping and striving and not soaring? What area of your life today have you jumped ahead of the wind and you've tried to create your own wind? And for months and for years now, you've been trying to pry something open that God will eventually open up if you'll just wait on the wind. If you're here today, and maybe you're a lady here in the house today in the last six or seven weeks as you've, talked, if you, as you, as you've heard Pastor Ryan talk about bold men, maybe it's been challenging and encouraging for you, but also a little discouraging because the man in your life is not leading you in a Christ-like way. And I'm just here to tell you today, wait for the wind. Let God and the Spirit of God do work on your man's heart that you can't do. Like, let, let God do the heavy lifting. You be faithful into what God has called you to do and let, let God blow wind from heaven into his life. Let him do the heavy lifting. Me and my wife, Anna, we've, we've tried our best over the last eight or nine years to really live this out. And this sounds really good and sounds really easy, but this thing is hard to live. It's hard to, it's hard to wait on the Lord when you've done all you can do and just wait for the wind to blow in. Me and Anna, uh, a few years into our marriage, we were in a small group at our church with a bunch of other young couples that were in their first five years of marriage or so. And we just wanted to start growing our family. We're like, hey, let's, let's have some kids and grow our family. And so a lot of the other couples in our group were in the same season and wanting to do that. And so all these other couples, just within a period of six months, it was like everybody was getting pregnant except for us. And so three months turned into six months, turned into a year, turned into a year and a half. And we're like, okay, like, you know, we want to grow our family. So we go to fertility specialists and they essentially say we've got unexplained infertility, which just means we don't know, we don't have answers, we can't help you, so you should just do some treatment. It's kind of essentially what they gave us. And, and I know a lot of people here, a lot of people watching other campuses online, this might be your story as well, walking through the infertility journey and I'm not here to prescribe anything. I'm just telling you our story today. And so two years in, we're like, you know, what's God's plan for our family? We want to grow our family. And we did treatment six or seven years ago. It was unsuccessful. And we just felt the time was not good to keep trying that. And so we're kind of praying, God, what would you have for our family? Do you want us to try treatment again? Do you want us to do foster and adoption? All this kind of stuff we're thinking and praying. And, and for five years, the best way I know how to describe the answer we were getting from God was nothing. Does God tell y'all nothing sometimes too? Like I'm not talking about red lights, like no, I'm talking about nothing. Like it wasn't a green light, it wasn't a red light, it was like a, I don't, I don't know. Like, and, and so for five years we're kind of like in limbo and we're exploring all of our options to grow our family and several times over five years, we started to go down in options. So we were like, foster care, let's, let's get registered in the system, let's do the background checks, let's do. And so we, we started going down that route. And the only way I know how to describe it to you is it felt like striving. Like it wasn't that hard to do, but it felt hard. 
It was like it wasn't, it just felt like we were, any route we went down, it felt like we were trying to create our own wind and kick the door. And so for five years, we're kind of like, in the, we're, 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 the only thing we know how to, we're, like, we're paralyzed by indecision because we don't know. And, and so we're just kind of waiting. <laughs> how many know you can be patient, but eventually your patience kind of runs out? I'm like, Lord, I know it's the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit's getting a little low. So, <laughs> so that for five years, that's kind of our journey and where we were at. And about two years ago, we were getting just to the point where our prayer stopped being like, Lord, show us. Lord, have your way. To being like, all right, Lord, like we're, gonna, we're just going to pick one and just hope you're in it. And, I mean, to be honest, we were, that's kind of where we were, you know, and and so the summer of 2020, the last week of July, we woke up. It was a normal day. It was some weekday. I don't even remember what day it was. Last week of July, we woke up that day not thinking about this conversation, not like it was kind of just put on the shelf as we were waiting. And that day, our phone rang. And it was a phone informing us of now our son, his situation his need for a home and it was essentially like we see him we see you it's a fit do you want him I mean it was literally so we got off the phone and me and Anna are sitting there looking at each other thinking through the last seven years of this whole thing and why we and we just looked at each other and we were like think the wind's blowing think the wind's blowing like God just did in that phone call, more than we were able to do in seven years. And, and within a hundred days of that phone call, he's part of our family. And he's been a part of our family ever since. And he's changed our life. And it's, it's amazing. It's, and the journey, I'm telling you, the journey has been soaring. And, and even we talk to people that have walked similar thing in, in the adoption of foster care world. I love that this church is all in that. I, I love it so much. It's so close to God's heart. And, and people have come up and they've asked us about our journey and how did you and how, and honestly, I'm not very helpful. <laughs> no, here's why I say that, because I feel helpful when I can give you really practical, like ABC, one, two, three, do this and it'll happen. But when the wind blows, it's not that. Like, people are like, what's your story? And I'm like, I wish I could tell you, ABC123, but our story is the wind blew. So wait for the wind. Like, the story of this church, by the way, I was talking with Pastor Ryan last night of the last 10 years and just hearing the story, and I'm asking all kinds of questions because I'm interested in the strategy and what are you guys doing, all this kind of stuff. But the bottom line is I'm hearing him talk and I'm seeing this, and I'm like, you know what's happening in Arizona? The wind's blowing. The wind's blowing. It's, it's God doing more than we can do. And so I, I'm just here to tell you on the back end of this last eight or nine years, wait for the wind. Wait for the wind. Now, now hear me. This is not what it means to wait on the Lord. Good word at church today. I'm supposed to wait on the Lord, so I'm just going to go home and wait on the Lord and still waiting. You know, we good? We good? You know. 
This is not the posture of somebody waiting on the Lord. We are to wait on the Lord. God, God, what would you have me do right now? God, God, here I am waiting. Who do you want me to serve? What do you want me to give? How do you want me to pour my life out? God, I am here at your service. God, my life is yours. It's a blank check in your hand. The answer is yes. God, I'm gonna serve you as I wait on the Lord. This is what it means to wait on the Lord. Say, Pastor Nate, when's the wind blowing? I have no idea. And I wish I could tell you, but I don't know. But I do know that you should wait on the Lord. Say, Pastor, I miss the wind. (laughs) God is gracious. He'll send another. It's okay. Maybe you've missed opportunity after opportunity and you've been wandering and in and out in your relationship with God and you've missed. that. Maybe that's okay. God will send some more if you wait on him. He can do what you can't do. He can take you where you can't take yourself. He, he can accomplish more in the supernatural and spiritual than you can accomplish in the natural, but you gotta wait on the Lord. I wanna read Isaiah 40, 31 one more time as we finish to encourage you with God's word. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Today I wanna pray for two groups of people. I wanna pray for somebody that's in a season of waiting today. Your soul is exhausted and you've tried to create your own wind and God is asking you to just wait on him today. Let him do what you can't do. That's you today. You say, Nate, pray for me. I need some help waiting on the Lord today. Would you slip up your hand? I want to know who I'm praying for today. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in the room today. Lord, I speak the word of the prophet Isaiah over them that you'd renew their strength today. God, strength that doesn't come from man, strength that comes from heaven. By your spirit today, strengthen them. Lord, I pray today you would refocus their eyes off of just their situation and put them on the cross, put them on the faithfulness of God today. Strength in the waiting, patience in the waiting, community that can come around them and lift their arms in the waiting in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray you'd send the wind in their life. God, I pray this next six months, God, that the wind would blow like they haven't seen in the last six years. God, I pray in the next six months, God, relationships and doors that are opening and things God, that are straight from heaven. God, I just pray open doors over your people today. I pray win from heaven for your people. God, give them the faith to wait and the faith to jump in when the wind blows today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Today, I also wanna pray for those that are far from God. You came in this place today and Jesus is not your savior, Jesus is not your Lord, but today you realize that you cannot be the forgiver of your own sins, you can't be the leader of your own life, and the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has done that for you. He came and died on a cross for your sin a few thousand years ago, but he didn't stay there. He rose from the grave, defeating the power of death 
hell and the grave that you might be a child of God. And if you would put your faith in him that you would be forgiven of your sins and surrender the lordship of your life over to him. And for some of you, you need to make that decision today. If that's you, you're far from God, but today you say, pastor, I need to give my heart to the Lord. Would you hold your hand up nice and high so I can see who I'm praying for today? You say, I need to give my heart to the Lord today. I need to give my heart to the Lord today. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? For the sake of those that are making that decision today for the first time, church, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And this is not a magic prayer. These words are not special. What God responds to is the posture of your heart. So church, can we pray this out loud together? Dear God, I believe in your son, Jesus, that he came and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. I confess my sin to you. Ask you to forgive me of my sin and be the Lord of my life. I commit to following you from this day forward. No turning back. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.